Welcome back to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am your host and executive business coach, Allison Dunn. Our topic today is breaking through with simplicity. Our guest is Ben Gutman. He is the author of Simply Put, Why Clear Messages Win and How to Design Them. He's an experienced marketing executive and educator on a mission to get leaders to be more effectively connected by simplifying their message. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Allison. It's great to be here. My pleasure. I love to kick these off with a deliberate conversation. What would be your number one leadership tip for our listeners today? Oh boy. Well, it's really tempting to uh, to go kind of dig into the stuff uh, for the book here. But whenever somebody asks for advice, uh, I always like to say all advice is autobiographical. You know, that's my favorite piece of meta advice. A little bit people aren't giving advice to you know other people; they're giving advice to themselves in the past. Um, so, how do you can translate that to leadership? Is that if you are asking for advice, what you should do a lot is always take that with the appropriate kind of grain of salt. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but you just want to understand where somebody else is coming from. Um, same thing when a user is complaining about something, when a customer has an issue, when a client when a client has a challenge or. Uh, or an employee has an issue. Always understand where they're coming from as part of uh, as part of how you receive that. Um, I love that tip, and when, um, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So the guidance I give when someone says, "I can't believe that someone told me that I'm not a team player," and I'm like, "Well, what does team player mean to them? Like, how is that showing up for mm -hmm. them? Like, is that a, a reflection on something that they feel that they're lacking or that you're not providing?" And really, kind of understanding, like as you just said, like we're always getting feedback of some sort. And when we're confused by it to appreciate, to, like to better understand the giver of the feedback, because it's really a reflection of them. Oh, absolutely. I think that's 100% true. And if you want to put like a, a funnier, but like more cynical version of the feedback, uh, Mel Brooks, uh, the famous producer, uh, yep. he had a, a, a memoir come out recently and he had a great bit in there, which is every time he got feedback from the studios, what he would just say is yes, yes, yes. And then he would ignore it. And so- that, that's not what you want to do most of the time in a leadership position, but it also gives you a sense of context sometimes. And sometimes people just want to be heard on something and the outcome is a completely separate piece. Yeah, oh, that's, that's actually, that's not uncommon to hear leaders go, yes, 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 and then completely ignore it. So <laughs> it's a balance. Ben, so um, simplifying our message, what are the biggest mistakes that um, we make as bad communicators? Well, it's it's not doing that. We, when you look at how we communicate, and this is, you know, my background's in marketing. I ran a marketing agency for 10 years. I teach marketing. Um, but after I sold my business, there was the time to kind of reflect and on the fundamental question as to why you do, why you hire a marketing agency. It is, it is why do some messages work when others don't? Why do some slogans sell a bajillion products and others don't? Why do some political rallying cries work and an elected candidate and others don't? Uh, why do some emails work? Why do some presentations work? Why do some websites work? Why do some proposals win? Um, and so all of these kind of boil down to the same issue. What I found out as I was delving into this topic was there's this gulf between how we want to receive messaging we want to receive communication and then on the other hand how we actually produce communication how we send messages there's forces that are pulling those two apart and that's really what i was looking into as as, as uh the genesis of this book okay so let's talk about the forces like what we 
think we're communicating and how we do it. So um, can you give me an example of like how we don't do it well? So when uh, I'll, I'll go into the receiver part for a second here. Um, when uh, there's this word fluency and we know it, right? We can be fluent in English or Spanish or Mandarin. We can be fluent in, in cooking or in uh, chess or whatever we can be fluent in. Where something is fluent, something's easy. This comes from the Latin word uh, flowing, basically. So that's what it feels like when something's fluent. Um, but to a cognitive scientist, when they look at the word fluency, that describes uh, the processing and the perceptual uh, phenomenon of something being easy to take from out in the world, stick into your head, and make sense of it, make use of it. Uh, and when something is easier to go from outside to inside to make use of, uh, we tend to like it more, tend to trust it more. We tend to be more likely to buy it. All the evidence across a hundred different domains, uh, you know, from how you can read fonts to how people, if they're stuttering, if what kind of language is being used, they all point in the same direction. The things that are simpler, that are more fluent, that are easier, are associated with the good stuff. And the things that are harder, that take more stress or mental muscle or sweat. Uh, are associated with us not liking them, not buying them, and not trusting them. The things that we don't want as a communicator. So that's, that's the receiver part of it. But the sender, where the gulf happens, is that when we are the ones sending, we're the ones writing that email, that proposal, you know, crafting that advertisement, we are incentivized to make things more complicated. We're incentivized to add we actually have what's known as an additive bias in our brains where when we're tasked with improving something or changing something, we almost always go first to adding, to putting more words in, to putting more pages on uh, versus doing the opposite. And that's internally, but externally, also all of our structures around us point us towards, hey, you know what? Like it's good. I got my photo in the paper and I can put that extra line on my LinkedIn resume and I can do all these different things. And so internally and externally is pushing us here. But as a receiver, as a user of the world, we want things in the other direction. Um, I personally relate with what you're talking about and recognizing on the receiver end as well as the delivering end. Um, what are the tenets of effective communication as the giver of it? I guess because that's the only part we can con con control, correct? Oh, yeah. And actually, I say uh, the the biggest fundamental shift that establishes uh, everything here is when you break out senders and receivers, senders are the advertisers, the employers, the, the, um, politicians, the advocates, all the, and then the, on the other, on the other side, donors, voters, buyers, those are the receivers. The sender, just as if you were sending a piece of mail is responsible for the literal and figurative costs of the communication. It's your responsibility to make sure that it is heard, that it gets through, and that you're respecting the receiver. So that's the fundamental piece of it, uh, as, you, as you were just saying. Uh, but going into how do we bridge that gap? So my background is in design, actually. And I looked at this as a design problem. Well, we have something here, and we have something there. And we, how do we, how do we uh, design something that brings us to a lot closer? Uh, and I've identified five principles of uh, simple communication, simple messaging uh, that we can activate on for that. It's not a checklist. It's not a, a rubric or a step-by-step -step plan, but they're just design principles that we can use to help us get there. 
so the first one is beneficial. Uh, what does it matter to the receiver? What's in it for them? The second one is focused. Are you trying to say one thing or multiple things at once? The third one is salient. Does your message stand out from the noise? Is it noticeable? Does it zig when everybody else is zagging? Is there contrast? The fourth one is empathetic, which is, are you speaking in a language that the audience understands? Are you meeting them literally where they are in terms of language, but also their emotions, their motivations? And then lastly, it's minimal. Have you cut out everything that isn't important and left what is? And when we talk about minimal, we're not talking about fused number of words or paragraphs or pages. We're talking about the least amount of friction to make it. Uh, and sometimes that means more words, but the least amount of friction is what we're optimizing for. How do you do that? Like, um, so minimizing friction, I need to, I need to, I'm a, a processor on, yeah. um, I understood all the other ones. So explain the friction side. Got it. So if you're a user experience designer, if you're designing a web page for an online store, for instance, let's get away from the words even for a second. Um, you will see this in action. Every time you've added something to your cart um, and you see that the other buttons, as you go through and you enter your address and your credit card information and you confirm, the buttons for everything else go away. It makes it very easy for you to get from point A to point B um, because there's no more off ramps. Every bit of you know language that you maybe don't understand, every option to kind of leave and to get distracted by something, all of that's pulled away. And the checkout process is very clear and, and straightforward. And there's no way unless you exit out of that browser or press the back button to get out of it. Uh, and that's intentional. We understand that when the when dollars and cents are tied into it like that. But we don't always understand those are several different pages instead of one page, right? And so that's more in terms of the pages, but it's less in terms of the friction. Uh, so we understand that when the dollars and cents are there, but sometimes we have a harder time uh, doing that when when we're thinking in the more, slightly more abstract realm of communication. Okay, great example with the shopping cart um, and like how it does um, reduce the friction to like just, it gets you to point A to point B. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why do we make things so complicated? Oh boy. Well, I mentioned the additive bias before, right? That is, that is that's the the biggest internal piece of this. And there's a great other book, uh, Lighty Klotz, uh, um, from University of Virginia. He wrote a book called Subtract, and him and his um, and his teammates did a a, a whole uh, boatload of studies to help you know validate this this idea of this additive bias and show it across things you know, from like designing a mini golf course to like planning a vacation itinerary to editing an essay to all these different things where doesn't really matter what the domain is. Our first instinct is to add. Um, and by the way, the one, you know what the best way to kind of counteract that is and to get more focused, uh, it's as simple as saying, well, subtraction is an option also. Just if you change the instructions in your brainstorm, in your, um, you know, in your editing process to say that you can also remove, add or remove, just the couple extra words. Uh, all of a sudden, the amount of people that will do the removal will jump considerably. Uh, and this is because of something else called the um, availability bias. Basically, if we see something, you know, we are more likely to go use it. If we see, you know, addition is usually is more available, right? We're able to see things that we can put there. Subtraction is invisible. So, if we are able to make that option more visible, 
we're more likely as the users uh, to take advantage of that. Can you give me a example of how you've used that in marketing? Uh, how you've used like the ad or remove? Well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you some, I'll give you an example of, um, of a focused, um, uh, of, of a challenge that's, that's marketing, but it's slightly adjacent to it that I think is really, um, important. So I, I teach, uh, at Baruch college of the Sickland school of business. Uh, and every semester I have these students, uh, I have them put together a midterm project. That is, I give them a brand, I give them a brief and I say, go develop a campaign based off this brief. And I bring in a couple other professionals and we judge it. And this happened like a week ago. So it's, it's very fresh in my mind. Love it. The, the, every semester, what happens is I get back at least one project that is what I call the Frankenstein idea. And if you read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the monster is described as having individually beautiful pieces. You know, we just had Halloween, right? She said lots of Frankensteins walking around. It, in, in, in the novel, though, describes it as like lustrous black hair and pearly white eyes and big muscular, you know, shoulders. All of these things were selected to be beautiful, but when you put them together, it ended up being a gruesome composite. It was worse than the sum of its parts. And that happens a lot in marketing where somebody says, hey, you know what? We're going to do NFTs and we're going to do this influencer thing and we're going to do this QR code and we're going to do, you know, influencer X, Y, and Z. And you, every single one of those things could be good, could be a compelling idea. But when you put them all together, you're fracturing your attention and your focus and it's worse than the sum of its parts. And that happened, even though I give them the warning, you know, since I started giving them the warning, uh, they've gotten a lot better about this of, of starting a, a number of years ago, uh, but it, it's still not perfect, right? Even though I did that, I still had one group that came back and had a, an excellent presentation. However, it was like 18 ideas in a trench coat instead of being, instead of being one coherent piece. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, what are some of the guidance that you would give our listeners for developing a practice to simplify our work, our messaging, our marketing, our life? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I would say go check out the book. It's full of a, a ton of them, but I'll give a few away for free. Um, the one, one of the things that's very important, uh, is when you're speaking or writing or, Otherwise, uh, you know, putting a presentation or a website or an ad together, uh, speak to one person, not a crowd, okay. because crowds don't really exist, right? I, when I'm in a crowd, if I'm at a political rally, if I'm watching the Super Bowl, uh, I'm still one person and I'm receiving from one speaker. Uh, so every unit, you know, atomic unit of exchange there is still kind of that one-to-one. I might be in a crowd, there are crowd dynamics, but a crowd doesn't really exist in that way. Uh, you can go and hire a marketing agency and develop personas and you know spend a lot of money doing research and that's all great. Uh, or you can go to the other end of the extremes uh, and take out a post-it note, draw a little stick figure on it and slap it on the side of your monitor and say, okay, well, every email that I write is not going to 100,000 people, it's going to that person. You know, every, every ad that I produce, every tweet that I write, it's all going to go to that person, not to somebody else. And that subtle mindset shift will change everything. Uh, I, 
I've been mentioning this a lot recently. Uh, are you are you a Taylor Swift fan? I mean, who is not? <laughs> so I I appreciate her. I'm I'm a fan. My wife is a very big fan. She like flew across the country to go to see her. It's a whole thing. But we went um, and we saw the the Eras tour in concert or in the in the movie theater uh, a couple weeks ago. And she is able to pull off something that is this that is this magic trick in a way that nobody else can really do. Uh, the only other people I've ever seen do this are, are a few politicians like like Bill Clinton was very good about doing this, uh, which is she made 70,000 people in that audience feel like she was talking to them individually every single time she was doing some some stage banter or when every single time she was writing a, a lyric was to one person. Uh, and she also pulled that off over the space and time between when that was recorded and when it goes on a movie screen. So if you if you want to be if you want to be a, a, a tiny tiny fraction of of as good of a of a presence as Taylor Swift, speak to one person. I so um, kind of um, taking the idea of speaking to one person and um, articulating it so that it's heard by them. How do you add in the visual component to be compelling? Like bringing like the design, the visual together with the language. What oh, should boy. we be talking about? Yeah. So d design um, design as a function is a is a business function less so than it is an art function there can be art involved in it but it's not art it's not about self-expression it's about arranging things in the world to achieve a desired outcome uh, and some of the best designers in the world you ask them they're going to say hey i'm a little bit of an artist in other things that i do but the design that i do that's work and that's business uh, it's problem solving uh, so i try to apply that framework to the language we're saying how do we how do we uh, arrange our language and our our tone and our attitude and our brand and our positioning all these things that's one piece but you mentioned the visual component that's obviously very important too most communication and it's weird to say this on a podcast which is going to be primarily something that we don't see with our eyes it's going to be something that's going to come in through our ears most communication right. comes through our eyes even if it's not uh you know written even if it is a word it's still going to come in as on a book, magazine, on a piece of paper, on a website, on a phone. Uh, so it's important that we also structure that in a way which makes it easy, which makes it fluent for somebody to, to intake. Uh, and the way we do that is not by throwing out a wall of words in this giant paragraph. It's breaking things up into smaller paragraphs using headlines, bullet points, bold, italics, call-out boxes, all these things that make it more visually compelling because we don't actually read when you look at the eye tracking data and we've been doing this for decades and it's been the same thing we look at the eye tracking data that we don't read a book we'll read we read a book one way right where we go from the top left to the bottom right if you're if you're reading in a in english um but we don't do that on the web we tend to jump around and we'll go from from the headline to the next headline to the next to a, a bullet point to a call out box and then sometimes we'll also scan the page. We're looking for like a phone number or a price or a name or something like that. And so we have to acknowledge that's how we're going to, to behave when we consume that content. And then we have to design the visual nature of our messaging uh, to fit that. 
Okay. So just a, um, applying the tool you're using to communicate and having it being in the way, like understanding visually how I would consume that as the person you're speaking to, which is oh, okay. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's about making it as easy as possible for somebody to comprehend that. It's about um, if you, if it's harder for you to read some text because the background is not, is, is kind of blurry and it's, you know, there's not enough contrast there that makes it less fluent. Right. And that makes us less likely again to like, to buy, to trust, uh, than if it was easier for us to read. Uh, if it's too small, if it's, if it's, uh, in a typeface that's difficult to read, um, all of these things will, will hurt us in a way. But if you make it very smooth and you say, okay, here's a, a clearly oriented hierarchy of a headline to a subsection to another lower, lower, you know, H3 headline, that makes it much easier for, um, for us to consume that content. In your uh, marketing expertise, is there a, uh, avenue, which any, anyone who is in business should look to that tool that they already should already have and simplify it the most, which, which area do businesses fail the most at, I guess. Oh boy. Um, it's, that's a tough one. I would say that the biggest offender is probably uh, a website. I think okay. that most folks look at a website uh, in completely the wrong way because they look at it for themselves because they're there. They might make it their homepage, right? And they might see it every single day, their company's website. But they're, And they might you know, have, oh, I want this word. I want this acronym on there. But they fail to realize that your website is not for you. Your website is for your customers or for your partners or for whoever your major stakeholders are. It's not for you. It actually doesn't really matter that much what you like about your website. It matters that it's conveying what it is that that you want to convey to that group. Um, and to that end, a lot of folks will um, will sometimes have their website. And what's the you know the first thing right front and center? It's just their name again, or it's their logo again. People will find your logo. They will look to the top left corner. The eye tracking studies I mentioned before all point in the same direction, which is we want the logo as a user. We want the logo to be in the top left corner of your website, and we want to click on it to bring us home. If you break that pattern, you're going to add friction and you're going to make it more difficult to get the user where you want them to go. You don't need to put the logo front and center. What you want to put front and center is some sort of hook, some sort of uh, small piece of language that is going to immediately convey to your user that they're on the right that they're in the right place right and i mentioned benefits before that's really where it starts to come in what's in it for them you know it's not about the thing it's about what the thing does for them not a feature a benefit that's what i want to see right at the beginning and i think that is uh, a, a something that's very challenging for a lot of businesses to get there because it, you have to kind of step out of your own experience in order to, to really uh, knock it out of the park. Um, I have a copy of your book. You have some really incredible, very helpful guidance, and I would encourage our listeners to pick it up. Um, where is the best place for them to find it? Oh yeah. Thank you. It's at Amazon, right? Uh, it's on Amazon and it's Barnes and Noble. It's wherever books are sold. Uh, if you go to my website, bengutman.com, uh, two T's and two N's in Gutman, uh, you can find a free chapter. You can check it out there to, to, before you get started. 
Um, but I also send out an email on a weekly basis. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, all these other great things. Uh, I hope that it can be useful to uh, to a lot of folks out there who have great things they're working on. And please send me a note whenever whenever you do buy it and read it and, and enjoy it. I really love to hear from you. Ben, thank you very much for your time today and your guidance on simplifying our messaging. It's, it's been it's been a blast. Thanks so much for having me, Allison.